0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. We are in our study of the Gospel of Matthew here, going verse by verse. We are in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 today. If you would, turn your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back. That's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you do have God's word in your hand when you when you go home. As you turn to Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 22, let me do a review from last Sunday. We discussed how Jesus fulfilled a prophecy from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And the cool thing about this prophecy was that it was predicted 5 to 700 years before Jesus was even born. The prophecy was about people's hearts, their broken spiritual condition. Uh, The people who lived in this land, the land of Galilee, uh, during this time, they were sitting in spiritual darkness. We learned that they were living in the shadow of death. And then we discussed how the Verde Valley is no different today. That in our own backyard, we have people who worship Satan and Jerome We've got all sorts of New Age mysticism in Sedona. We've got uh, in Clarkdale and Cottonwood, Cornville, we've got all sorts of false beliefs mixed into Christianity, right? This, the synchronism of all these things, or nobody gives a rip about Christ at all. And finally, we made the comparison that just as Jesus was the light to the Galileans, well, today's church is the light to the Verde Valley. And if we're the light in the Verde Valley, then what are we supposed to do with it? And that question, that's, that's really what sets us up for today's scripture passage. Today, we're going to see what Jesus does when someone comes to the light. Jesus doesn't allow his people to figure out all this new, his new spiritual life on their own. So we're going to see Jesus in action today. He's going to call and he's going to gather four disciples unto himself. But what is this calling? What's it mean for you? How does Jesus' call? How does that impact your life? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and following. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he said, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing nets, preparing their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And this is the word of the Lord for River Bible Church this morning. Thanks, guys. Please have a seat. Well, let's take a deeper look here at verse 18. As Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. So right from the very start here, Matthew gives us the picture that Jesus is on mission. He's walking with a purpose. As beautiful as the Sea of Galilee is, Jesus is not just sightseeing. What Jesus is doing is he's replacing the 12 tribes of Israel with the 12 disciples. The 12 tribes, they failed to be obedient. The 12 tribes, they failed to evangelize. Israel was supposed to spread this message of the one true living God, Yahweh. They were supposed to spread it to the other nations, but they didn't do that. In fact, they didn't even try to do that. Rather than going out into the world, what they did is they shut themselves off from the world. So with Jesus now walking along the Sea of Galilee, really, this is a do-over for the nation of Israel. Jesus' whole life is a do-over. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam, the new Adam. Jesus is going to do what Adam and Eve failed to do. Jesus is going to accomplish what the nation of Israel failed to do as well. So back to verse 18, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. So we learned about the area of Galilee last Sunday, specifically with Nazareth and Capernaum. And today we're going to learn about its sea. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide, 13 miles long, and it's nearly 700 feet below sea level. It has several different names and even more different spellings for those names. It's called the Sea of Chinnereth or the Sea of Tiberias as well. Luke, in his gospel, he always calls the Sea of Galilee, he calls it a lake. Dr. Luke, he's probably a a bit more seasoned than the other gospel writers uh, as far as traveling goes. So he's familiar with how large an actual sea is. He's probably seen the Mediterranean Sea, maybe traveled on it. Regardless, the the Sea or the Lake of Galilee was known for its fishing. Uh, Josephus. A Jewish historian. He was also a one-time governor of Galilee. He states that the, uh, the lake had 240 fishing boats on it. That's a, it's a, it's quite the, the fishing enterprise for such a small lake. So back to verse 18, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. So let's talk about these two men. Peter eventually becomes the, the leader of the twelve If you've grown up in church, uh, we know Pete well, don't we? Uh, His mouth is shaped like his foot. We know this. Andrew is not as prominent as the other disciples. Here's the interesting thing about Andrew is that Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to meet Jesus in John chapter 1. Andrew brought a little boy with a sack lunch to Jesus in John chapter 6. Jesus then used that sack lunch to feed over 20,000 people. Andrew, uh, he brought a group of Greeks to meet Jesus in John chapter 12. So that gives us some insight here about Andrew's personality. Back to verse 18. So they, that's Pete and Andy, they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. So we know who these men are, and now we know their profession. Peter and Andrew, they are commercial fishermen. They are not casual hobbyist anglers. Now, can you picture what these guys look like? don't think of the movies that you've seen. Just just picture what we've we've been talking about. These men are professional fishermen. They've been working all night long. So physically, these men are strong. Emotionally, they're strong-willed. They're rough around the edges. They talk like fishermen. They smell like fishermen. (laughs) Why? Because they're fishermen. That's what they do. This is who they are. Y'all getting the picture? So Peter and Andrew, these are manly men. These guys are not wimps. Notice how Matt gives the detail into their style of fishing here. He says they, they cast a net into the sea. So they're not using a, a fishing pole. They're, they're not using this, this hook and line or a stick with a string on it. They are throwing this big, heavy net into the shallow water. They're dragging this thing along the shore. And this net was large. It was, it was a big circle. It was weighted down with stones. And then when they pulled the whole thing up, it, it tightened around the fish. So these guys are working. This is just another day in the life of Galilee. This is what they've been doing for years and decades. And then all of a sudden, Jesus walks up to them and says this. Verse 19, he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Can't you imagine jesus the, the smile on Jesus' face when he says that? Now, this statement, it seems abrupt uh, here in Matthew's gospel, Because it kind of sounds like when you read through it fairly quickly, you know, Jesus, he's just taking a stroll on the beach and he walks up to some strangers and he just, he makes this bizarre statement. And it is abrupt because this is the first mention of of any dialogue between Jesus and Peter and and, and Andrew in Matthew's gospel. But if you remember from last week, there's a 12 month time gap between Matthew chapter four verses 11 and 12. And we looked at John's gospel to fill in that year of Jesus' life with all those details. So, Peter and Andrew, they know Jesus fairly well at this point. They know what kind of man he is. Jesus had invited the, the disciples to follow him a year prior in John chapter 1. And within this past year, we saw, they saw Jesus turn water into wine They saw him cleanse the temple in Jerusalem, along all those other things that we talked about last week. Now, secondly, notice this. John the baptizer told his disciples that the Messiah was coming. So John encouraged his disciples to go and follow Jesus. Andrew just happened to be one of those disciples. He did precisely that. So Peter and Andrew, they've been following Jesus for about a year now. Eventually, they had to go back to work, just like everybody else. So they're kind of this bivocational disciples of Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me, in verse 19. Literally, it's it's come after me. We would say it this way. Come on, guys, let's go. Come here. Now, don't you find it interesting that Jesus didn't tell them to believe? Jesus says, let's go. It's time, boys, you got to follow me. Why didn't Jesus tell them to believe? Well, they already believed. Verse 19 is not an invitation. It's it's really a command. They already believe, and now it's time to do something with their faith. Brings us to key point number 1. God always calls his people to do his work. God always calls his people to do his work. And we see this throughout all of scripture, right? Noah, Abraham, Moses, God calls Noah and tells Noah he's going to destroy the earth because it's just, it's filled with so much wickedness. So God commands Noah to build an ark. And I just see Noah going, well, okay, I'll do that. But what's an ark? You know, what's that? Genesis six twenty two. Noah did this And he did everything that God had commanded him. God chose Noah for a very specific purpose. God also called Abraham. Listen to the wording of this call. This is fascinating. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And I think the most famous calling would be Moses. We all know this story. Exodus 3, 4, God called out, God called out to, to Moses from the bush, Hey, Moses, can't you just see Moses walking around? He's on a mountain, no one else is around. And he hears his name Moses. <laughs> Starts to walk away Moses, here I am. The amazing thing about being called by God, and, Mo, and, and Moses is such a great example is that Moses argues with God. He gives God excuse after excuse after excuse why he has the wrong guy. And yet God doesn't have the wrong guy. Why? Because he's been chosen by God. I love that. He's been chosen by God to do God's work. So we fast forward several thousand years, and we see God in the flesh. His name is Jesus. And now he's calling more men. Now notice here, this is the second call from Jesus to Peter and Andrew. And this call is different than the first. First call was in John 1. Uh, These men are already disciples, but now they're being called into full-time discipleship. They had made a a previous commitment to Jesus, but they had not yet given their lives over to Jesus. Jesus allowed a full year to pass for this relationship to build between these men before he asked them to do something new. Some say that this is the call of salvation, but notice what Jesus says here. Verse 19, Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me. Jesus doesn't offer a particular doctrine, a systematic theology, or a set of beliefs. No, 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 no. Jesus offers something so much better, and that is a relationship with himself, a relationship with God. I mean, think about it. Jesus came from heaven. He steps down off his throne in heaven. He becomes a man. When he was in heaven, he was in perfect community with with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And now that he's a man, he's calling these men to himself to experience the same type of community on earth. So Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to give up everything they've ever known and to join him in full-time ministry. And they know this. that They know that this what this call is. And they're excited about it. Now pause, because I find this fascinating. Isn't it interesting that Jesus calls others... To join him in his walk, in his journey, and for fellowship. What's that tell us? Key point number two. Jesus never intended to save sinners alone. Jesus never intended to save sinners alone. Now, yes, salvation is through Christ alone. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. There is, there, there is so much, there's no such thing in the Christian life as a lone ranger Christian. Yes, many, many times the, the main focus of all these biblical leaders, these biblical characters, is on them. But, but please notice that most of them are surrounded by other people. I think of one man who was not surrounded by other people. There may be another, but uh, I'm thinking about Samson. There are many reasons that Samson failed in his life and in his calling. And one of the primary reasons was that he did go alone. He had no godly men around him, and he clung to a wicked, wicked woman. Boy, is that a recipe for disaster. And when you, when you go it alone, you die alone. So we are to follow Jesus. We're to be surrounded by community. Because Jesus himself was surrounded by community. Thirteen times in Matthew's gospel, we're going to see this as we go through, we hear Jesus saying to people over and over and over again, follow me, follow me, follow me. And in verse 19 it says, and I, I'll make you fish for people. Jesus said, I will make you. I will do this. I will train you. And the same is true for us today. The call is the same, but it's through a different means. So in other words, this is, it's not through Jesus physically calling people today, but rather it's through the Holy Spirit. And the way the Holy Spirit makes the call is, is through his word. It's confirmed by the, the people within the church. So the question is whether or not we're teachable and if we're going to be obedient to the call. So Jesus gives Peter and Andrew a command to follow him. What do these guys do? what do they do? Do they say, "Hmm, I don't know, Jesus. Yeah, I got, I'm busy, man. I'm busy. I got to check my calendar. You know, I got bingo later in the day. I got to watch Wheel of Misfortune later on tonight. Is that what happened? Look at verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him immediately at once without delay no question they intentionally and willfully decided to depart from their work they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus now i realize something that's that's hard for us to believe isn't it because the story is still somewhat abrupt and i get that what matthew records here in this narrative really are the highlights of Jesus being king. That's, that's the lens he's writing this narrative. So what Matt is doing here, he's focusing in on, uh, on the call of the king. But what Luke does is he focuses on the humanity of Jesus. So I, I want to take us over to Luke's gospel, because Luke is going to fill in some, some holes here, and I really hope this helps. So Luke chapter 5... Starting in verse 1, this is, this is Luke's account. And the reason that this is a fuller, more expansive um, story of the narrative itself is because Luke writes through the lens of humanity, Jesus' humanity. And we really see that here. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake, the fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. He asked, them, he asked him to put out a, a little from the land. And then Jesus sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, Simon, why don't you go out and just put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch? Oh, Master, (laughs) you know, we've been working all night, we're tired, we've caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and and help them. They began, they came and, and filled both boats so full that they began to sink When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so James and John, Zebedee's sons who were with Simon, they were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. From now on, you will be catching people. And then they brought the boats to land. They left everything and they followed him. They left all the fish. They left the nets. Brings us to key point number three. Christianity is not only a set of teachings to understand. It's a person to follow. Christianity is not only a set of teachings to understand, it's a person that we follow. Matthew doesn't record any hesitation for Peter and Andrew to leave their nets here. Their nets equaled their livelihood. This is how they made a living. Fishing is all they've ever known. They don't fish, they don't eat. It's like a general contractor leaving his tools behind. It's like a lawyer leaving his books, or a doctor burning his license to practice medicine. You know what this story kind of reminds me of? Remember Elijah and Elisha? The The way that Elijah called Elisha? It's almost as if Jesus is imitating that call in 1 Kings. Jesus even hints at this Old Testament narrative in Luke's Gospel. Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow, right? You put your hand to the plow and looking back like, "Uh uh-oh, I think I've made a mistake. Maybe I didn't hear the call. It's fit for the kingdom of God. Now, all those things go through our minds when we're called. What's interesting here is really how both Elijah and Jesus, they invert the, the standard procedure for disciple making. Generally, the disciple would go ask the rabbi. Rabbis waited for students to apply to them, and we still do the same thing today. If you want to go to college, you have to apply. You may get a scholarship, but you still have to fill out the paperwork. That's not how Elijah or Jesus did it. Jesus chooses his disciples. So pause. What's that tell us? Jesus chooses. To be chosen by Jesus is supernaturally special. God himself is making a distinction between the chosen and the rest of the world. And if God chooses these men, then he's got a special assignment for them. So moving on to verse 20, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. So at this moment, everything changes. Everything changes. In many ways, they walked away from their families, their homes, their livelihood. And if that's not crazy enough, Matthew presses in on this point. He he wants to emphasize the call of God here in verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. So Matthew provides a second example. It's nearly identical. This time it appears that James and John, they're heading out to fish. They're fixing their nets. A net does no good if there's a hole in it, right? So once again, it's just another day at the office for these men. Jesus calls, he he shows up, he calls them, and what do these men say, say? They said... They didn't really say anything. He goes right into verse 22 and he says, Immediately they left the boat. And not only did they leave the boat, they left their father and they followed him. In other words, they left their livelihood and their family to follow Jesus. And when you fast forward two years, this decision cost them everything. James was the first person, uh, the first of the apostles to be martyred. Herod, uh, King Herod killed him. The Jews rejoiced when, when Herod murdered James. And when Herod saw this, they arrested Peter. He intended to kill him. Peter was eventually murdered for following Jesus. John, John he, he, he likes to refer to himself as the, the apostle whom Jesus loved. Isn't that sweet? John did a lot of writing. The Holy Spirit worked through him to write the fourth gospel. He also wrote first, second, and third John, those epistles, along with the book of Revelation. And speaking of John's writing, in his gospel, John chapter 21, he hints that there could have been up to seven fishermen within the twelve. Now, have you ever thought about why Jesus called so many fishermen? I'm not a fisherman. I'm not an outdoorsman. My idea of camping is like a four-star hotel. That's who I am. But I do have some observations when it comes to the character of, of fishermen. First, fishermen are busy people. Professional fishermen, they don't sit around and play video games. I've seen an episode of The Deadliest Catch. These guys know how to work. They're either sorting through their latest catch, they're preparing for a new catch, or they're fixing their gear. And Jesus chose fishermen because he needs people who are not afraid to work. Fishermen are also courageous. Fishermen are also patient. Fishermen, they have to work together. They're a team. And Jesus demands cooperation within the team. And lastly... Fishing demands faith because fishermen can't see the fish. And all of these qualities they make for great disciples, and I love this, they learn how to be evangelists. Isn't that interesting? These disciples, they have to learn the three circles just like you and me. That's what Jesus means when he he says, I will make you fishers of men. Because that's what these men are now. They are evangelists in training. And next week, these men, they're with Jesus. As Jesus, he goes about teaching and preaching and healing. He's by, they are by his side. So as I wrap up today's sermon, I do want to do something a little bit different. I'd like to share a burden that I have with you. And I, and I think this burden is illustrated well in this story. So let me read you this story. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were nonstop, some people decided to build a very simple yet crude life-saving station. The station was literally just a tent. They only had one boat and the people were few. But even though they were few, they were dedicated. They chose to keep a constant watch over the sea for people who needed help. They sacrificed their time with little regard for themselves. They were committed to go out day and night. And it was because of that commitment that they, they saved many lives. And some of those people were so, so thankful to be saved, they also wanted to give back. They felt compelled to be a part of this life-saving mission. So they gave their time, they gave their money, new boats were bought, many people were trained, this little station grew, but over time some members became unhappy because the tent was cold and it was crude and they, you know, they felt that they just, they needed uh, to build a larger, a nicer place and they rationalized that it would be better for the people that they saved from the sea. So they replaced the, the sleeping bags and the cots with hospital beds, and they started putting better furniture in the different rooms of the building. And soon the station became a, a popular social place for its members. They continued to remodel and redecorate until the station, well, it looked more like a club than a life-saving rescue station. Over time, fewer and fewer members were interested in in going out on these life-saving missions. So they decided to to hire professionals and professional life-saving crews that they would go out and do the work so everybody else could stay in the clubhouse and socialize. And then one day, these professional life-saving crews, they brought in boatloads of these cold, wet, half drowned people, a large, very large ship wrecked off the coast. And these people were so thankful to be alive. Obviously they were dirty, they were bruised, they were sick, they were scared. And that beautiful new clubhouse got incredibly dirty that day. So the club members, they created a committee to prevent that from ever happening again. The committee spent money and resources to build a shower outside of the building so that people could be cleaned up before they, they came in. And at the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most members, they wanted to stop the club's mission, the, the mission of saving lives. And they, they claimed that the whole thing had become a, an unpleasant hindrance to their newly expanded social life. Other members insisted on keeping the original, uh, the original mission of the club. They passionately pointed out saving people's lives from the sea. That's why they exist. That's our primary purpose. I mean, after all, they're still called a life-saving station. But those members, they were voted down. They were told that if they wanted to save lives, they could go build their own station down the coast somewhere. And that's what they did. As the years went by, the new station gradually faced the same exact problems as before. It too became a club. Its life-saving work became less and less and less of a priority, and the few members who remained dedicated to the original work of saving people's lives began yet another station. History continued to repeat itself, however, and if you, if you visit that coast today, you're going to find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still reoccurring in those waters, but most people drown. This modern-day parable points to the heart of my burden, not only for you, but, but also for the, the people of the Verde Valley. You know, it wasn't too long ago that we had a church split here at River. When I was commissioned to be the senior pastor River Church, as it was called back then, just several years ago, it was a club. There hadn't been a baptism in six or seven years. The baptismal at that time, it looked like a, it looked like a kiddie pool. It was stuck in that closet back there. It got ate up by mice and rats. So the most significant change when I came in was from this pulpit. Uh, the decision to, to teach the Bible verse by verse. And we've been doing that. I mean, can you believe it? We've been doing that for nearly four years now. It's crazy. And by God's grace, this little church on the hill now offers six Bible studies throughout the week. That's crazy. So by God's grace, we are a teaching church. And that's, that's wonderful because we are fulfilling part of the, of the, the Great Commission but here's my burden. Moving forward, what are we going to do with all of this? What are we going to do with all this knowledge about Jesus? Or maybe a better question is, what are we going to do with Jesus? A pastor friend of mine, he says this. He says, we have a choice. We can either be fishers of men or keepers of the aquarium. Isn't that good? The idea of keeping and maintaining and, and managing the aquarium, that's called iChurch. Right? iChurch is where we, we come here and we complain about the music. I iChurch is where we critique every detail of the sermon. iChurch is where we demand to be served. We would never say that, but that's our attitude. iChurch is where we refuse to allow God's word to transform us into the very likeness of Christ. You know, there's a reason our mission statement is nailed to the to the outside wall there in the foyer. Experiencing God verse by verse. Now, here's the thing. Learning God's word is only the beginning of this journey. It's only the beginning. We have to ask ourselves, all right, what are we going to do next? I mean, is this as good as it gets for River Bible Church? Are we just going to live in Groundhog Day, Sunday after Sunday? Come here, worship, learn God's Word. That's where Peter and Andrew and James and John found themselves this day. See, we experience God verse by verse, and don't forget this, guys, so that we can experience God day by day. Experiencing God verse by verse is vertical. It's it's theological, and it's very, very important. But experiencing God day by day, that's the horizontal portion of the cross because it's, it's about people. It's always about people. How do we do that? How do we make this about people? How do we go horizontal? We do that by going fishing. We have to be intentional. We just learned how Jesus called his first four disciples. Nothing has changed over the past 2,000 years. God is calling you too. It's a constant call. Have you noticed that? It's a constant call. Everywhere we look in the Verde Valley, people are drowning spiritually. And dear friend, you can't. You can't teach a drowning person how to swim at that moment. Somebody somewhere has got to jump in and get wet and get dirty and save the guy. The whole work of evangelism is a form of spiritual rescue. I find this so hard to believe. I really do. That you and me are God's marketing plan for the gift of salvation. This gift that he's given to us, we're, we're to spread the news, right? Right? It's hard for me to believe because I'm like, God, hello, have you met me? Have you met us? Have you looked around? There is no plan B, though. I mean, this is what the Great Commission is. And by the way, do you guys realize how much more influence that you have out in the Verde Valley than me? When people find out I'm a pastor, they immediately shut down but not as much with you, right? Why is that? Well, because you're an ambassador for Christ disguised as a retiree. You're a business owner undercover as an evangelist. You're artists and salesmen and nurses and mechanics and contractors and you're builders, and we're all working together, right? Right? within these professions for the building up of God's kingdom right here in the Verde Valley. Now, I can stand up here every single Sunday, and I can blow this spiritual foghorn to equip you guys as saints for the ministry. And I'm going to continue doing that. But the question remains, what are we going to do with Jesus after that spiritual foghorn sounds each week? That's why the three circles is a priority. It's why we show those videos nearly every Sunday. It's why many of you, you've been trained. It was evangelism class. We're we're training more people now. It's amazing to me, Jesus taught Peter, Andrew, James, and John how to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations too. Jesus taught them and then he sent them out two by two. So what about you? What's Jesus calling you to do? Well, for some of you, it begins with answering the call to salvation. Are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus personally? Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he walked out of his own grave, you will be saved. He did all the work for you. For some of you, the call is is now to be baptized. If you're new to River Bible Church, maybe your call is is to make a commitment to keep coming every Sunday morning. Maybe your call is to stay after service and, and to spend some time in fellowship to truly learn about the culture and the DNA here at River. Maybe your call is to join a small group. And if you're doing all of these things, maybe your call is to become a member, a formal commitment to the church. And if you're a member, maybe, maybe God is calling you to, you get to fill in the blank. Now I have a theory, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. I have a theory. Do you want to know why so many Christians are unhappy why so many children of God are angry at God. I think part of the reason is that they said no to his call. Dear friends, if you haven't lived until you've said yes to his call, it is the most terrifying thing you'll ever do. I like to call it a beautiful disaster. And here's the thing, if if you've said no in the past... Please repent and say yes today, no matter what the call is, because God's not done with you. You may be retired, some of you, but you're still breathing. God's not done. It's not too late. We've all been commissioned, but to fulfill the great commission, the call is a little bit different for each one of us, and that's what makes the church so beautiful, I'd like to encourage you to do some business with God today. And just listen to where He's calling you. And then when you hear the call, ah, you get to drop your net and you get to follow Him. Amen? Amen. All right, guys, please stand for this morning's benediction. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen Amen and Amen. We've got fellowship off to the left, we've got prayer through the foyer and to the right. May God bless you this week. Thank you.